welcome to another episode of Results with RLS. I hope you are well today. Joining me for my conversation is Ryan. We are going to be talking more about the sports-specific stuff and all about sports performance in this um, chat today. So, hello, Ryan. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Russ. Thanks for having me. That's all right. So before we actually delve into our conversation today, um, just let the listeners basically know who you are, Ryan, what you do and why we should be listening to you today, basically. Well, I don't know why you should be listening to me, but um, <laughs> I can tell you who I am. Um, so, yeah, I go under the name of Athletic Fitness. Um, I have worked as a PT now since late 2018, which is actually where I met yourself uh, at the gym group. That was my first position. Um, from there, I have gone on to work at Wenton Sports Centre, which is where I still am. And I manage the place here and work as a strength and conditioning coach. So I started out as a PT, level three, like most people, decided I wanted to get into sport performance, work with athletes, and done my level four strength and conditioning qualification. Started it, I think, last March. Um, and yeah, I've managed to start working with a few high-level clients, including one which competed at the Commonwealth Games this summer. He nice. took a bronze medal in the team karate. Um, and I also work with a couple of squash players, one of which is ranked about 400 in the world now. He's sort of coming through. And then another young girl who is currently ranked about 15 in her age group in the UK. So oh, cool. they're just a few of my higher end clients. So when it comes to like coaching and stuff like that, if anyone's listening and they want to get into the more kind of like sports specific, do you need to be an athlete to have to do that sort of training? Um, I mean, it lends itself down to the words itself. If you're playing sports, there's a level strength and conditioning is going to help you. Um, I think there's a lot of misconception on the word sports specific training. Yeah. A lot of people tend to think um, you need to just do the exercises that replicate your sport. So if we take squash, for example, which is one of the uh, sports I'm most involved with, um you instantly think well that there's a lot of lunging in that so we're going to do a lot of lunge at work when we get in the gym to get nice and strong but if you have already lunged 500 a thousand times on court that week the last thing you want to be doing in the gym is then loading that up and putting more overload stress on it so i think the first thing you need to look at is what movements does your sport require you to do and how are you going to use those in the gym to get better on the court or on the field or whatever you play? Like, how are you going to take what you do in the gym and complement your play? So, yeah, that's okay. what I can say to people. <laughs> yeah, it, it's good you should say that because obviously I was always under the basically thought of if you play a sport obviously you want to be doing certain things certain movements in the gym that's as i say going to complement stuff when you're on the court on the field etc etc but it's a good thing that you should say that because obviously someone who's potentially doing so much training in their sport outside the gym when they come into the gym 
doing excess amount is going to potentially risk um, risk more injury rather than actually benefit them. And that's exactly what the gym should be used for for most athletes. And when I say this, we're sort of talking your 18, 21 plus. For youth athletes, everything is going to be about movement and getting them better at moving. moving. But I imagine you probably don't have too many of those listening in. So in terms of an adult population, the gym should primarily be viewed as injury prevention, especially during the season. Um, during the season of play, there's no need to try and get stronger, to get bigger, to do anything like that. Injury prevention should be number one. And it's a lot easier, as you'll know, to maintain strength than it is to build it. During yeah. the off season, where you have time to put in the hours to add more muscle mass, so to work hypertrophy, to try and increase your speed, to try and increase your strength. That's where you've got sort of two, three, four months, however long it is to build on that. But yeah, injury prevention should be number one because to coin the term, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it, the best ability is availability because the only way you're actually going to get better at your sport is by playing your sport. It doesn't yeah. matter how much you can squat in the gym. If you aren't practicing your sport, nothing replicates a tennis rally like going and playing tennis. Nothing replicates a football game like kicking a football around. Yeah. So. And it's funny you should say that as well. The whole off-season, on-season thing makes a lot of sense as well because through my own training, when I've been doing like a strength cycle or a, a build cycle, I'm actually a lot less... Um, well, fatigue, that's worth. Um, when I'm in my strength building phase, because the next day it almost feels like you haven't worked out. Even though you've been pushing quite a lot of weight, I feel a lot more like my muscles have been a lot more stressed, obviously, through the hypertrophy stage. Well, and a lot of people don't realize this as well. They think that lifting heavy weights but less reps is actually going to fatigue you quite a bit. But I found through my own, especially if you're eating well and all that as well, that the next day you actually feel like you don't really feel like you've actually done a workout sometimes. Do you agree? Um, I think it varies athlete to athlete um, because generally in the off-season, they're not going to be playing as many games. And the way that I try to uh, plan people's weeks out that work with me um, is we try to use the traffic light system. So we green, amber, red. So if you're doing something like a mobility session or a stretching session or a light technical hit for my squash players or my karate guy, if he's just sort of doing some basic movements in his carters, that's going to be green. If we're looking at uh, sort of a 30 to 45 minute hit that isn't necessarily pushing boundaries or they're doing sort of a light gym session, maybe it's going to the amber. But then when you've got the games and the competitions, obviously they're going, you fill out uh, intensity. So there are red ones. And in the off season, you're going to have a lot less of those red exhausting fatigue sessions because you're not playing games. So yeah. It makes sense that for some people in the off season, they are going to have that extra energy, but that's where you then take that and then you reapply it elsewhere. So then you add in a few more of those higher intensity sessions. And I know what you mean in terms of sometimes strength wise, because you're doing less reps. Sometimes it feels like less fatigue. I think 
the one thing I've noticed with certain clients is it's that mental fatigue. Like yeah. getting five, three to five reps on a heavy squat. Some people like after two, they're like, ah, okay, that's only one more to go. But if you've got 10, you get to five and you're like, oh, I'm not even halfway. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly um, that. Well. I think there's the mental aspect definitely there. But um, yeah, in terms of the physical side, I think you want your guys to be trying to work as hard as they can while still producing benefits. Because again, you get to the off season and suddenly if you do five days a week, red sessions, well, I don't care how fit you are. You're going to be put, putting yourself on empty sooner rather than later. Yeah. You can have the best nutrition in the world on top of that and the best recovery. You're still going to feel some sort of aches and pains, but Obviously, you, we're talking a lot about athletes and stuff, but you've got to think as well, the average person does have some sort of hobby as well. And a lot of people obviously go to the gym. They may, outside the gym, maybe they play football, either for like a, an amateur team, or they may, um, there's a lot of park runners and stuff like that. So there are people that aren't exactly an athlete, but they do do some sort of sport on a, a much smaller level as well. But if someone doesn't play sport, even for a hobby or anything like that, would you say there was any exercise that would help the average person, whether it be like to help them with their joints, their mobility? Obviously, you've got squats and deadlifts and stuff like that. But is there anything like more outside the box that people don't do in the gym, but almost should be doing in the gym? I love this because you've just come exactly to my... Uh, what, uh... I'll use the word style. Um, my style that, that I, yeah, um, that I use with all my clients. So athletic fitness, I mean, I didn't, my first client obviously wasn't an athlete. You, athletes don't pay much money, especially at semi-pro because all their money's going on uh, uh, their actual training. So to make a living, I have to work with general population as well. Um, and I apply all the same principles to my general population clients. So one question I generally ask people is, when was the last time you jumped? Or when was the last time you hopped? When was the last yeah. time you sprinted? And a lot of these people will generally say, I've got some people in their 50s that I started working with, and they'll say, maybe back when I was in high school, college. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> And you think about when are most people at their fittest, healthiest? For most people, it is once sort of in education. Once they leave education, you go into your nine to five work and you're sitting down at your office desk or whatever you do. I know we're a little bit different. We're in an active profession. But as you're saying, for the general population, um, they're sitting down for nine hours a day. Then they're going to their car and driving home. And then they're sitting down on the sofa and watching it. Like there's not really much moving. So a big thing I always try to include is very explosive jump work and pushing a sled or doing little sprints, doing hopping, doing unilateral work. So by that, I mean, uh, on the lower side, that's going to be things like lunges, split squats. Yeah. Um, doing all of those things are so beneficial and I'll challenge you today, Ross, one of a uh, popular superset I'll do with people will be doing like a RDL or a hex bar deadlift or something like that. 
do it for a hypertrophic range. So sort of between eight and 15 reps at roughly 70% weight and then do five broad jumps as far as you can go. Five broad jumps, so standing long jumps, um, if people don't know what broad jump is. Five of them, or even if you want to push it, if you're feeling fit, do 10. You will feel knackered just jumping yeah. 10 times. And it's amazing how many people do not realize that just going and jumping 10 times after doing another type of lower body exercise. Now, that's not necessarily what I would program for athletes all the time in terms of those rep ranges, but just to get an idea of how much power you can produce from your legs just by jumping you don't need to wait you don't need anything just learn to jump higher further and suddenly you'll feel a difference i think as well like i think what a lot of people tend to think this sort of stuff is would come under like the more like functional fitness and stuff like that but it's funny you should say about the jumping aspect as well because i think a lot of people avoid the jumping and almost the the shock to like their joints and stuff but really i think a lot of people actually lose a lot of their um the shock the shock absorbers in their joints and stuff from actually not doing these certain movements as well would you agree yeah there's definitely an element of that and this is where we sort of start to look into uh something called plyometrics which is oh <laughs> where we're starting to learn to absorb and then produce power. So a lot of people get a slight misconception of plyometrics in the sense of they think a box jump is a plyometric, which, yes, it's activating your SSC, but what we actually want to do is a true plyometric is where we would absorb a impact. So let's take a depth jump, for example. So this is where we would step off a box we would land and then as quickly as possible, we would then jump. Yeah. So where we've got an absorption and then a reaction, that is what we want as a true plyometric. And what I tend to work with people before we get into like lots of big high jumps is you can't produce force if you can't absorb force. Yeah. You think about if you step off a box and jump, you could probably do that up to what, 30 centimeters box 46 centimeter box something like that you could step off and then jump but if i asked you to step out of the first floor of a window and land and jump you're not going to be able to now <laughs> most people can't but it's a matter of all we've done there is increase the height and all we've done there is increase the force going down initially from gravity in your body and found a point where you can't absorb and react but that's the way you improve the absorption it is literally just Learn to step off a box. Learn to just jump on the spot and land. I've got people that, before when they came to me, they struggled to jump more than 10 centimetres, and now they'll jump 30 to 40 centimetres. I, I think it's the fear as well behind it, isn't it? Like, the fact that back at school, we we would always taught, like, not to jump over things, not to, not to like fall from a certain height and land on your feet and stuff like that. And I think it was programmed into you from such an early age that some of this stuff is almost risky and you shouldn't be doing it. But as you're quite clearly proven that people should be doing more of it to actually benefit them, their bodies. Yeah. I mean, it's what my whole philosophy is about is just get people moving 
running, jumping. Go back to your early days where you're climbing around on the apparatus at your primary yeah. Just our bodies are able to move in that way. And yes, as we get to 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, our body's ability to do what it was doing when it was 10 to 20 is obviously going to be reduced. But I mean, I work with one lady, she has carpal tunnel syndrome. So she in her wrist, so she can't put much weight on that. She has a winging scapula as well. So she struggles with um, extending her arm above her head properly as well. We have managed to get her a 72 and a half kilogram deadlift this year um she weighs about 62 it shows that even when you get to your 60s to your 70s there's no reason why you can't still get stronger the first time we deadlifted she struggled to do it with 15 yeah uh that was over about a year and a half we managed to get up to that yeah just because you're getting older, it doesn't mean you can't get stronger. My The person I talked about that could only jump 10 centimetres and can now jump 30 to 40, he is probably somewhere in his 50s to 60s. Um, and, yeah, he's starting to improve in power. He's never been good at jumping. He always jokes about it every time I ask him to do it. He's like, there's one thing you don't ask me to do, it's jump. Yeah. <laughs> I think as well, the, the the sad reality is that there's so, and th- this is just um, the world in general, whether you're on the internet, on social media, whatever, there's always myths and there's always stuff that people been ingrained into you from an early age or even from the, an older age that you shouldn't be doing stuff, you shouldn't be doing this. You, When you get older, everything goes backwards. And like there was, there's stuff that's been debunked now that like, anyone under 16 can lift weights it's actually more beneficial for them whereas beforehand a lot of people obviously you got to make sure that they've got the right technique they've been coached properly etc etc but beforehand like especially when i first started um lifting weights and stuff like that it was always under the 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 um research that you shouldn't be lifting weights from an early age and i think as well that when we get older because it's in our in our heads that we are getting older we are getting aches and pains we are struggling to to keep up with our sons daughters the younger generation that we almost give in and basically say do you know what i'm i'm getting old i'm getting fragile i shouldn't be doing all this either Yeah, and I think this is why it's so important to try and find something you enjoy. And this is what I go back to with especially the sport performance element. And you said about like general population that maybe have a hobby of a sport. So obviously I work at the sports centre here and we have a lot of people that come in and they'll play badminton and squash generally. And we have the gym on site as well. And most of those people coming in to play badminton and squash won't use our gym. And the reason is, they either one they don't really know how to use the stuff in there and they just haven't decided to and that's where our job comes in to educate the public on the benefits of that but two it might be that actually they have tried a gym before and they just didn't enjoy it and that absolutely if they're saying well actually i work nine to five and then two evenings a week to keep fit i want to go and play badminton i want to go and play squash 
and they want and they have a target in their mind they say actually i would quite like to be able to so in squash we have a national system where there's the squash level so when you play against someone of a certain level it up and downs your points and whatnot they might yeah. say right, i want a squash level of say a thousand by the end of the year um that's like a mid club level round here um is that a bit like um, where, with golf and handicaps and stuff like that? Uh, kind of, yeah. Um, so if they say, I want to achieve that, me telling them to go into the gym isn't going to help them to do that. Them going on court and playing a game is going to help them do that. And I think for a lot of people, if they say, well, I enjoy playing squash, I enjoy playing badminton, I enjoy playing football, I enjoy whatever sport it is, I would strongly recommend to them, go and do that. Um if you're wanting, if you're in sort of a place where you really want to improve everything around your game and you've got the time, you've got the energy and you're a little bit younger, there's so many benefits from taking up strength training, from working off a periodized program and working with a coach that can do all of that for you. But for your average 30 to 50 year old that has a family that has a wife, husband, home and not that many hours, Find something you enjoy because if you're not yeah. going to enjoy it, then you're not going to do it. <laughs> and I say this all the time that like I'm constantly saying I don't like cardio, I don't like doing hit stuff, I don't like doing classes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because for my mental state, I just find it really boring. And as you said, I'm not going to keep with it if I keep doing it. I know the benefits from doing certain stuff like cardio, your hit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but for from my perspective, I enjoy doing weights. And I say this to every single person. Like, if you're doing something and you don't like it, just don't do it. Yes, there might be the, all the benefits in the world from doing that. But if you're not enjoying it, then find something that is going to be more beneficial to, one, your mental health for, for anything. And two, if you're actually going to stick at it a hell of a lot longer, then do it. And I think from this as well like so many people and it's that time of year now where the new year people are going to start coming in and they're going to be in the gym and we both know that a lot of them are going to drop off because not because they necessarily aren't finding any progress with it but because they've came in and they've probably just not enjoyed what they're doing mainly they've probably gone on the treadmill and just started walking and then gone on the bike etc etc or if they tried picking up weights and just not enjoyed it whereas i find with yourself as well and you've probably seen this from your your perspective as well that actually a lot of people would benefit from actually just picking up a sport and playing it yeah and uh, it's a great way as you say if you don't especially if you don't enjoy cardio generally sports uh, there aren't many sports like that uh, really accessible that don't have some level of uh, cardiovascular fitness yeah. involved so that's already going to be a great way to introduce you to that and what I find is most people what the hardest part of going or getting into regular habit with the gym is actually getting to the gym once people get to the gym a lot of people say getting there's the hard bit once I'm there I, I love it or I leave feeling better and whatnot. And I think using sports sometimes is a great way into that because suddenly you're going and you're playing, let's say, football twice a week and you're starting to feel fitter and healthier. 
And then, especially if there's a gym nearby, then they might go, oh, actually, yeah, I fancy uh, going in there and building up a little bit of strength. And then they start doing that twice a week because they've already made the step to feel healthier and they've realized those benefits. And getting started is the hardest part, which is why I think something that isn't highlighted enough, especially in the fitness industry, so many PTs work on getting people to improve from day one whereas i've tried to make a habit with many clients that come to me and they'll say oh i think i might just want like a plan and then one session sort of every other month just see how i'm going i'm like no if you want to work it we'll do a plan and i'd rather you rather than do one session a month for four months we'll do four sessions this month get you into a good habit and then we'll go from there. My whole first plan is all based around basic movements and getting them improving their movement ability and all those bases. And then off, more often than not, what happens is they'll come back the next month and say, I've seen so much value in this. I've seen so that I've managed to sort of feel healthier. I am really enjoying it. Can we do another month? So someone that's like, oh, maybe I'll kind of want to try it is now bought in. And I don't think enough PTs probably see the value in getting that person doing regular early on and building those habits as opposed to day one, right, where's our strength fat? Cool, right. So you're now, you're squatting 60 currently. We need to be getting up to 100. Yeah. I'm not talking about everyone, but I have seen that before. There's sometimes so much focus on where are we going to get into the future and not enough focus on the now what can we do to make sure that you're still training a year from now i don't know if you have any comments on that i i 100 agree like i and i always boast about this like yes getting short-term goals short steps small small little wins is always a win such as yeah getting your squat to 100 kg and stuff like that but if you can grab and grasp these habits and routines and build your knowledge that's going to last a lifetime. If you can see yourself doing this in 10 years time, perfect. If you can see yourself doing this in 60 years time, even better. And I, I listen to a lot of um, guy called squat university on Instagram. Um, I always forget his name. I don't know if you listen to him as well, but he, he, always says like yes you should be doing all these movements etc etc and you should be able to do them until you are pretty much in the grave because if you're not you are actually limiting yourself and you could potentially get a lot more injuries and a lot more or not less mobile because you're not doing it now basically and yeah no 100% agree people should be building the habits and routines and making sure that they're consistently going and they're going to be able to be doing this years down the line as well. And this but, is, oh, sorry, if I can just jump no, in. That's all right. Um, this is exactly what I was talking, or bringing back to my earlier point where you asked about what exercise I suggest and going back to things like jumping, running, hopping, lunging, squatting and hinging. Um, so hinging being a deadlift, but it's all about the hip hinge. Um, all of those movements are so fundamental, basic patterns. And something we haven't gone on that I quickly like to just go to is something that's taught to every PT in their qualification, but we rarely see used is the planes of movement where yeah. 
so many exercises in the gym are working through that sagittal plane and there's not many that test us in the front or the transverse or even fewer that go through multiple planes of movement and our body needs to be able to move in multiple different directions different speeds acceleration deceleration especially when we're talking about sports but even for the general population just doing general day-to-day living that so much focus sometimes is put on oh let's just squat heavy and deadlift heavy and bench heavy in terms of this powerlifting program for people that aren't powerlifters and yes not enough is focused on running jumping and all the basic what we associate with human movements really um that actually carry over so much more into everyday life um and i would really urge people to really try and have a look at what does their training incorporate and the big bug for me i think i spoke to you before is people that come in and say right it's leg day today and they will spend 90 percent of that session on their ass sorry uh, <laughs> I ass on this yeah 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 you can. <laughs> i've tried to keep my swearing to a minimum <laughs> Um, if you listen to any of mine, there's, there's, a, there's an F-bomb in there somewhere. <laughs> um, but they'll spend 90% of that on their ass just doing leg extensions, leg, it, leg curls, um, I don't know, whatever, on all these fancy machines, adductors, adductors. And I'm thinking, it's leg day. What do you use your legs for? Yeah. <laughs> um, and don't get me wrong, from a bodybuilding perspective, I get it if you work on individual muscles. But again, most people aren't training to be a bodybuilder. But yet, most people that go in the gym end up doing a bodybuilding program. Yeah. And this this is coming from a actual... or I don't like call myself a bodybuilder, but that is pretty much the training I do. And I am ex- exactly like that. But I find that I get all my movement from my, from my steps and stuff like that. I am very functional during the day. I get my movement in through actually walking and etc etc but yeah no i 100 percent agree with that because you get people as we said earlier on in the in the episode that people are spending so much time sitting down throughout the day to then go to the gym to sit down again to do certain movements it just it i find that even though how much the gym is beneficial i think there's certain machines that are just designed so wrong because they almost incorporate that sit down style and it's hopefully within a a few years or so some of these machines will become a lot more standing up or a bit more movement involved and stuff like that as well but then as you say like you've got all these lunges and stuff that you could do throughout your throughout your leg um session and stuff like that but We'll go on to another question I want to post to you as well, which actually flows quite well into what we're talking about. When it comes to doing certain exercises where it goes down to more of the exercise that we're talking about, is there any that people should be avoiding? Because obviously you say about all this multi-directional stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Is there any that comes to your head where you've maybe seen people do that they shouldn't be doing because they think it's it's beneficial? So... This goes back to the old phrase of there's no such thing as a bad exercise, but there is <laughs> a thing as bad exercise selection. Yeah. So if you've got someone to make it really easy, if you've got someone that has slipped a disc 
doing a deadlift is going to be a pretty bad exercise selection. Does that make the deadlift a bad exercise? No, absolutely not. In my opinion, deadlift is one of the best exercises. Um, I know we've spoken before about you get some of these top level like powerlifters and whatnot that say as general population, you probably shouldn't be deadlifting. Yeah. But the deadlift is a category of exercise. We have a lot of variations. We have Romanian deadlifts. We have stiff leg deadlifts. We have hex bar deadlifts, which I don't think enough people do. Hex bar deadlift is a wonderful exercise, um, especially when we're looking at I know we're going again back towards exercise we should do here quickly, but <laughs> we sort of pe so many people think about wanting to do like cleans and snatches yet just don't have the lap mobility or the wrist mobility to be able to do them properly and well. Um, when doing that, we're training triple extension. So when our ankle, our knee and our hip all extend at once, which is a very transferable skill towards sports, um, the a hex bar jump does exactly the same thing. Um, and that's something you can't do with a barbell, I tell you. You can't do a barbell deadlift jump. That that won't work. You'll fall forward. Um, but yeah, so the deadlift isn't inherently a bad exercise, but if you've got a bad lower back that's due to a slip disc, it's a bad exercise. And it goes the same with everything. Um, in terms of lunges, if we think about lunges, the ideal position we'll get to is roughly 90 degrees on both our knees, a nice, tall, proud chest, our knee tracking over the foot and everything pointing 12 on the clock forward. If you've got someone with patella tracking issues, that sort of means that their knee doesn't track completely properly, then they're probably going to find it more comfy to lunge with a slight interior or exterior rotation of their foot. Now, suddenly you've gone from, well, the lunge might be a bad exercise if you get them to lunge normally, but then actually if they're doing it comfy for them, it's a good exercise. But then someone looking over will go, oh, that looks wrong because they're out of line. So everything's contextual and you could go through every single exercise and say, is there value in this? And you go, well, yes, if this or no, if this. And yeah. You see a lot of exercise on Instagram of like all these fancy things that are going on and people go, oh, that looks really good. I'm going to add that to my program. But they don't think, why was that person doing it? And that is ultimately always going to be the answer to, is this exercise good for me, bad for me, or just neutral? And the answer is going to be, why are you doing it? I think as well that we've always been taught as well through certain exercises, you've got that whole risk to reward um, scenario as well. But it's good that you went on to the whole context of why people are doing it because for person A, the risk towards for, let's stick with the deadlift, is going to be potentially more rewards than risk. Whereas, as you said, person B potentially with that um, slip disc the risk to award is going to be more risk because obviously they, they might potentially, even though they've got perfect form, et cetera, et cetera, they might still risk potentially injuring themselves further. So even though you have got that whole risk to award scale, every single exercise isn't going to be the same risk to award for every single individual out there as well. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. It's all down to everyone is different and that's why, I don't encourage people just to go and grab 
a plan off the internet, you can use those plans off the internet to base your own, but go to those plans and have a look at them and go, okay, well, they're using this rep structure and this set structure and these type of exercises, but then choose the exercises that you enjoy. We've already spoke about making sure you enjoy training to yeah. make sure you continue yeah. doing it. And then make sure you use the exercises that not only help complement your strengths, but then target your weaknesses. And if you at any point are like, I'm not really sure about that. Well, that's where we kind of come in. And that's why I have a job because that's what I'm here to help you with. It's yeah. a, so many people tend to sort of see our job as, oh, well, they're people that kind of enjoy getting fit and now they just work in it. And I think that has been an issue in the past where a lot of people get into this job because of that. And yeah. I always use the analogy of driving in the sense of, I mean, I don't actually have driver's license myself, but <laughs> people say it in the sense you start learning to drive once you're past your test. And it should be the same in our profession that you start learning to coach and work with different people once you've completed your PT exam. And I feel like too many people stop that learning and they go, well, I enjoy training like this and this has got me to this point. And then they just apply that to their clients. And don't get me wrong. There's probably been phases in my career where I found certain elements of that where I was like, oh, this works yeah. really well for me. I'm going to put this in programs for my clients without considering, well, actually client has A, B, C, D needs. What can I do to help meet those, which is why I now have a lot more in-depth consultation process with people and a lot more emphasis on the teaching and the sort of chatting element of things to really understand what they're looking to get, how they feel and really make it athlete focused. I'm glad you kind of brought this up as well, because this actually um, will help round out the rest of the podcast, because I actually posted um, recently about the difference between a personal trainer and a coach and I've been there myself, which we, which you just now said. I would have done something and been like, oh, this is really good for, for so-and-so. And I've actually gone through a whole phase over the past couple of years, thanks to COVID, that I've done a lot of learning. I've done a lot of um, educating myself. And even though it's quite clear that not everyone is going to be able to do the same exercise exactly the same, but people have it in their heads that they have to do it exactly the same way as someone else. So I've gone through the whole point of a six foot per a six a six foot stocky guy is not going to be able to squat exactly the same way as a four foot eleven female. They're going to be completely different and on their bone structure and stuff like that. And you add everything else into the mixture as well. No one is exactly the same. And if a personal trainer is just given one exercise program to every single one of their coaches without taking any um, clients into any context of should they be doing this? And if their clients aren't asking them why they're doing this, it's, almost just like that whole circle of just training for the sake of it if and this is why i say like coaches are so much different to a personal trainer coach will explain to you why you do it 
And a coach will also say, do you find this fun? Do you find this uncomfortable, et cetera, et cetera. And if the client responds yes to either of them, they would change it and take it out of their program completely. But I'm glad you brought that up as well, because I want to just finish up on, is there anyone that you can think of on top of the head that anyone listening to this would benefit from following, other than obviously myself and yourself, <laughs> but anyone that is pretty much at the top of their fields on Instagram or on another podcast or anything that you feel like people could benefit from listening to? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of people out there. Quickly on your point about the coach first PT, I think I agree in the sentiments that you put out there. I think the issue we have is, I mean, I personally don't care if people call me a PT, a coach, yeah. drink, <laughs> coach, a dickhead is what I get called quite a lot as well. <laughs> Um, I don't really care what people call me because I know what the values I'll bring. And I think what the whole industry needs to look to move towards is having more people move towards the the good elements you spoke about being a coach there. And whether they identify as a PT or a coach or whatever, as long as those elements are there where it's always client-focused, athlete-focused, I think you're doing more right than wrong. Um but in regards to the people that uh, to look out for, there's so many out there to name. Um, I've, I follow a lot of people on Instagram, um, way too many to remember off the top of my head. <laughs> I would say look for good, reliable, basic context stuff that people post. If people are posting super fancy exercises all the time, they're probably not worth following because they're doing that for the views. The best programs are going to be boring and just doing the basics over and over again in a progressively overloaded pattern. Um, yeah. I will drop a couple of names. Um, there is another local strength and conditioning coach who I really look up to. He's offered me some good advice um, towards start my career, which is Rui Rodriguez, a hybrid performance um he's amazing doing really good work in the field so if you're looking at more like sport performance con um concept of that he works a lot with like martial arts sports he's based out of hustle um and does a lot of stuff with the junior swim team around norwich if you're looking at a higher level of sport performance you've got the rugby guy i think he's called with keir um keir flat he posts some really good stuff and a lot of memes as well, which I enjoy. <laughs> um, but he's really good. Um, he has many, probably many hundreds of thousand followers now. Um, in terms of like the squash side, there's squash performance, which is Mark Burns. Um, there's Gary Nisbet, which is Unique Fitness Solutions. There are a couple of people I follow in regards to squash. Top of their game, they're working with some of the best players in the world. Um, but yeah, it's so hard to name loads and loads of people because I would, there's I would coaches out there. I think you just got to look for what they post and what they preach as yeah. why you should follow people. And I, I would like to name drop some people as well. So Squat University, I've learned a lot from him as well. He's, as you say, he's he doesn't post any fancy stuff. He posts the stuff that will benefit your squats, your deadlifts. Um, he talked all about that functional side as well, like saying everyone should be able to do a pistol squat, etc., etc. And he breaks down every single movement as to why you should be doing it and how you should be doing it, etc., etc. And another one that um, uh, any 
it's more the the science behind doing certain exercise as well but like N one training they're pretty good to follow as well they break down why you should be doing certain movements in certain ways to hit specific muscles especially if you if you struggle with uh any sort of weakness in certain areas of your body as well but as, as ryan just said as well as long as they are one credible they have got good research behind why they do certain stuff as well if someone says you should just do this exercise because it will burn fat then delete them straight away <laughs> but if you come across someone that fully breaks down why you should be doing certain exercises and if they can back that up with certain sources as well even better but i'm gonna round it out there and basically say that is the end of our conversation today i'd like to thank ryan again for that very very good um conversation there yeah thanks for having me russ enjoyed it anytime mate and i'd like to say thank you if you have been listening i will be back next week for another one take care i'll see you all later